Good morning. Good morning. It was a really fun week at BBS. It was so good, in fact, that Cheryl's lost her voice because of it. <laughs> we had a good time with the kids last week. And when we talked about the theme of it, if you can't tell by this, and I'm assuming I lift this up because they think my sermons aren't that interesting, so they're trying to spice it up a little bit. Is that why this is? But we talked about being treasured by God. And we talked about how just in life things happen. And it, you don't feel treasured. You don't feel special. You don't feel like things are going your way sometimes. But you do have a Heavenly Father that loves you, that looks at you, that cares for you, that looks at you like a father looks at a son or a mother looks at a daughter. And just there's something special about that relationship. And even when you feel devalued, you have a Heavenly Father that thinks you. So we still be talking to the kids about that. And hopefully they left knowing that they are special to God. And uh, like, like, like Bieber said, that, that hopefully we plant some seeds with them. Now, I'm also glad to be back. I uh, appreciate Mike filling in for me for a couple of weeks. I heard he did a fantastic job. I'm looking forward to listening to him this week. And um, But that was some, some well-needed time off. We ran to a couple of baseball tournaments. We were in Chicago. We made it to Chicago and back, and we're still here. And so that was exciting. And then we went to Osage Beach for a couple of days. And we just, I love going down to that area. It's a lot of fun. But today I want to talk about something new. I want to talk about today, but what happens when the rules change? What happens when something used to be right, but now it's wrong? You ever have house rules in a card game before, and it's just any game before? See, we played Uno growing up, but I'm excited when we're all about the age we can start playing Uno and some a little bit more complicated games. But but we played, played Uno growing up. Did anybody, did anybody else play like this? If somebody threw a draw two down, the next person could also throw a draw two down on top of it, and then the numbers just kept accumulating. Some of you guys played it like that? Did anybody play it the way the rules actually say, to where if you throw a draw two down, the next person has to draw two cards regardless? Then they get, then it, that's how you played it? <laughs> Thank you for making my point. <laughs> right? And, 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 and so we've got, we come at, at, at games from different perspectives. If Mike came into a game with the rest of us who played it correctly, and Mike gets a draw two throw, or, or he throws a draw two on somebody, and then the next person throws a draw two down, and Mike's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And the next person throws a draw four down, and then a draw two, and it's back to him. And all of a sudden, he thought he was getting somebody, but all of a sudden, he's drawing ten cards. That's not, that's not right. That's not fair. Right? And that happens to us sometimes. We get in situations where the rules just get changed on us. We had some house rules concerning the game of Monopoly. When Caleb and Haley were little, um, I don't know if you played it by the rules. I'm sure that's how... <laughs> He played it. <laughs> but we would play that if you passed go, you collected $200. If you landed on go, you collected $500. We would play that if any kind of fines or anything like that happened in the game, it all got thrown in the middle. And then as, and I can't remember the spot, it's, it's not community chest. What? Free parking. Yes. If you landed on that, you got that big pot of money. Did you who, who played it like that? Yeah, yeah, the correct way. Right? Did anybody play it where the money just went back to the bank? No, I'm just. Oh, but but we we did 
<laughs> we did that to get more money on the table and gain more faster. Right? Because Monopoly just drags on and on and on. But if you don't know what's going on and you walk into those situations and all of a sudden the rules are changed on you, I made up a game when, they, when, when Caleb and Halo were little called I Win. <laughs> and I told them that there was a pattern to the game, and the way that you win is by discovering the pattern. But what they didn't know was the pattern was I win. Right? So we'd do all kinds of random stuff out there, and they'd be like, they can't ever figure it out, and then I'd be like, I win. I win. Because that was the pattern. Right? But, but, and I think I failed it. They didn't realize what the actual answer was. They're just now realizing. But that's the kind of situations that we find ourselves in. Sometimes we go through times of transition, and 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 the rules change on us, right? When when Kim and I were dating and when we were first married, um, she would always try to lighten her hair. She thought I liked girls with blonde hair, and so she would go lighter and lighter. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't bother me, but it's not them. And then one day, I don't know how it came out, but she realized that this that wasn't that important to me. And so she'd been operating under one set of what she thought was operating instructions to found out, no, that's actually, yeah, yeah. And so she began to operate her life differently when she found out what the truth was. Caleb's going to high school. He's going to deal with new rules. Things are different. Sometimes you've gotten a new job. Sometimes you, 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 you leave one job and go to another company, but you're doing the same job, and they do it differently. I got new rules, and I didn't see this coming, and they didn't see this coming, and now somebody's got to change. See, well, let me say this before we, before we really dig into the Bible. Sometimes industries change. Kodak was known as a film company. When I grew up, uh, my mom had a Polaroid camera that she would walk around, and but it, you know you got the Kodak film that you put in it, and you take it and, and you get it, you get it developed. We went around Washington D.C. We spent a whole week down there, and like on the Thursday after being there for four or five days, she 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 had realized that in her little thirty-five millimeter camera that she didn't have the film put in right, and so she's like, "We gotta go back everywhere." No, we're not going back everywhere. Right, but there was this whole process. Okay? Kodak decided that when the digital age began to come in, that they were going to maintain, they were going to stay a film company. And then they just began to struggle because the rules changed on them. And it wasn't Kodak's fault. It wasn't anybody's fault. But because they decided that they were a film company, that they were going to stay a film company. They weren't going to change. And then all of a sudden, just because the rules changed, and that happens to us. And sometimes, but right now we live in a world where the rules are changing. As I'm in business, and you guys that are in business probably know this, as you're meeting new people, they're like, there's certain topics that I don't want to talk about because if I go the wrong way with it, I might not get this client or I might lose business if they do certain hot topics of our day differently than I do. So you're like, we, 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 we tread lightly as our world is changing. And so this past week, I was uh, uh, with the, the, the little ones, and we were watching a movie. And uh, I, I, these, these, these two 
great theologians, Anna and Elsa of Arendale. Don't you know who that's from or not? We watch a lot of Frozen 2 in our house. There was a song in the second Frozen. And the name of the song is The Next Right Thing. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. I want you to come back. But I know it goes like this. It says, I've seen dark before, but not like this. This is cold. This is empty. This is numb. The life I knew is over. The lights are going out. Seems kind of heavy for a four-year-old, doesn't it? Hello, darkness. I'm ready to succumb. I've followed you around. I always have. But you've gone to a place I cannot find. I love this line. This, this is such a, a great word picture. This grief has a gravity that pulls me down. But a tiny voice whispers in my mind, you're lost, your hope is gone, but you must go on and do the next right thing. Can there be a day beyond this night? I don't know anymore what is true. I can't find my direction. I'm all alone. The only star that guided me was you. How do I rise from the floor? But it's not you I'm rising for. Just do the next right thing. Take a step. Take a step again. That's what I was supposed to do to get there. It's all I can do the next right thing. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath, this next step, this choice is one that I can make. So I'll walk through this night stumbling blindly towards the light and do the next right thing. And with it done, what comes then? When it's clear that everything will never be the same again, then I'll make the choice to hear that voice and then do the next right thing. See, as a follower of Jesus, that's try how I've tried to operate my life. I want to do the right thing. I want to be a man of integrity. I want to be a person of character. I want to listen and, and, and do what I feel like God's calling me to do. In business, I try to run a business like that. I try to do right by my clients and my customers. But what do you do when what was the right thing yesterday is wrong today? What do you do when what was the right thing a year ago or two years ago? It's wrong today. See, this is the world that Jesus came into. When he came into Israel, Israel had just gone through a series of being taken over by a bunch of foreign captors. For a while, it was the Assyrians. They came in and they said, look, you can maintain your identity. You can worship Jehovah God, but we're telling you how you conduct business. We're telling you what the right thing looks like. And you can worship your God as long as you do the right thing based off of what, how we're telling you to live. And a couple of generations later, the Babylonians came in and they conquered the Assyrians and they said, look, you can worship Jehovah God as long as you do the right thing based off of 
what we've told you the right thing is. You're paying taxes to us. You're, 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 you're going to honor Nebuchadnezzar. Right? You're, you're going to obey us. That's the right thing. And, and, and you're free to worship Jehovah God as long as you do the right thing based off what we tell you that it is. A few generations later, maybe a century later, the Romans come in and conquer. And they say, now we're going to tell you what the right thing is. Here's how you conduct business. You can worship Jehovah God as long as you also honor Caesar as God. This is the right thing. This is how you do life. This is how you are in relation to us. And as long as you serve us, you're free to serve God. You're free to serve Jehovah God. And I don't know about you, but that's how it feels sometimes trying to do business today. I don't know what the right thing is. I hear some of you guys pray sometimes. God, I, I, I just, I, it's hard to see what the right thing is. It's hard to know what the right thing is to do. And, and, and I'm with you. It's unclear sometimes. And God says, as, 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 as we read over, and this is the world that Jesus came into. He came into a world of a society, Israel, going, this is how the right thing looks. Being imprisoned or slaves to, or a nation that was captive to another nation going, this is what the right thing looks like. With the history of that going back centuries and centuries. And he came in, he began to just almost immediately disturb the status quo. The number one thing that he got in trouble to was doing things, excuse me, working on the Sabbath. And we're not going to make a big deal about this because that's it's really boring. But that was part of the, 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 the Jewish law. They were to do no work on the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 5, it says this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any of the foreigners residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. He says, here's what the right thing to do is. God tells him. <clears throat> he goes, you're doing this for a couple of reasons. One reason is, I want you to remember every seventh day, I want you to tell the story of what God did while you were slaves in Egypt so that you remember the deliverance that happened, how God freed you from captivity and brought you to the promised land and made you free, even though centuries later, as we were just talking about, they were going to find themselves in captivity again. But he goes, this is one of the reasons why I want you to observe the Sabbath. Another reason I want you to observe the Sabbath is because I want to live, not only has God brought you freedom as he rescued you, but he's taking care of you along the way. Right? If you remember back the story when this was, when this was first set up, every day the Israelites would wake up and they would walk out of their tents and there would be manna on the ground. And they were to collect enough manna for that day, bring it back in. That was what they ate that day. On the sixth day, they were to go out and they were to pay them enough for two days. It was a reminder that God was not only going to deliver them, to rescue them, but that 
once a week, or, 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 but that God was going to be with them along the way and provide for them along the way. This was a big deal. And Jesus came in and he almost immediately began messing with that. I got this passage here in Mark chapter 2. We could pick at least 20 examples of this. Here's one. On the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. As his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when him and his companions were hungry and in need? And he tells that story. And then Jesus says, and he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus goes, you've got that law, that right thing that you're supposed to be doing, may not be right anymore. I'm changing the rules. And the Pharisees freaked out. They go, this is not, this is not right. And especially the way David was, or uh, the, 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 the way that Jesus is doing it this time. Remember, one of the reasons why they were supposed to observe the Sabbath is remember that God was going to provide for them. Well, they were out working. They were actually collecting food on that day. That was a big no-no. And I can understand why they were so passionate about this, because in Numbers 15, you've got this. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron in the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. That seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? And I don't know what else is going on with this guy. I don't know, maybe there's a, a whole backstory. This was the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, and God said, look, enough's enough. You know, this is, this is the way that we've got to do. I don't know what's going on, but you can understand why the Pharisees were made such a big deal about this. This is the right thing, Jesus. This is what they, how they organize their life. We do the right thing, period. We do the right thing. And Jesus comes in and goes, for changing. The right thing isn't so clear anymore. Are you really supposed to do the right thing? When it's not compassionate? Are you really supposed to do the right thing when it's going to allow suffering to go on? Maybe what you thought was the right thing actually wasn't, or maybe it was. And just what was the right thing then is no longer the right thing anymore. And if you brought a Bible or there's one in front of you, if you'll open up to Matthew chapter 20, 22, Jesus, there's a story recorded about Jesus where as Jesus continues his ministry, he continues to break these laws. He continues to break what was the right thing and change it. And it's ultimately what got him killed. But he tells a story, and there's a story that happens in Matthew 22. It's where I want to go with the rest of this. Because through this story, we learn to ask a better question than what's the right thing. It starts like this in verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. Now, as we read the story, 
the, the picture that pops up in my mind is there's, there's this group of people over here that are kind of in a huddle, and they're going, we've got to do something about this guy. Because he's not doing the right thing. He's doing the wrong thing, and all the people are going to him. He's gaining in popularity. We're losing in popularity. We're going to lose our positions of power. We're losing influence in the community. No one's listening to us anymore. They're all listening to him who's doing the wrong thing, and we're over here doing the right thing. And so I get this picture in my mind where these guys are over here, and they're talking, and they're going, we've got to do something. Let's trap him on what he's saying. And so it says, the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him, Jesus, along with the Herodians. Okay? Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity. Right? That's what you do when you're trying to get under somebody. You butter them up a little bit. We know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? They come to him and they go, look, we've got this dilemma. We're having a conversation over, over, over dinner last night. Should we really, right? We're, 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 we're the, the Jewish nation. We're, we, we, you know, I know that Rome says they're over us. We're just kind of ignoring that. Should we really be paying taxes to Caesar? Or should we honestly just be honoring God with all of our money? And so they come to Jesus, and then they ask him this question. And the next person says that Jesus is going to understand. He understands they're trying to trap him. But what they're trying to do is that if Jesus answers, well, yeah, you should definitely pay taxes to Caesar. They're, they're going to go to the rest of the Jewish people, his new following, and they're going to say, he's a Roman sympathizer. He thinks we should be honoring Caesar. He thinks we should be honoring Caesar equally with God. Right? We shouldn't be following this guy. He's a heretic. But if Jesus goes, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. They're going to go to Rome. And they're going to say, this guy's trying to start a revolt. They're going to try to start an uprising against you. He is teaching. Look at all those people he has over there. They've all left us. Whom you, you said we were good with you. You said we were good. And we're able to have our synagogue. And, and, but this guy over here, look at all these people that are following him right now. He's telling people, don't pay taxes to Rome. He's trying to, he's trying to start a revolt. He's trying to pull something over on you. And, and it says, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And so they brought him a denarius. And they asked him, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Well, Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so go give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left and went away. And so Jesus he, he unwinds this trap that they've tried to get him in, and I just see him going, guys, that didn't work. What else do you guys got? You know, and so they, they get back in the huddle and they start talking. And then, then what we're going to see here next is that it says the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees did not get along. 
So for them to be, that same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. And so I see them, they went back, and, and, and the Pharisees go, we, 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 we failed. So what do you guys got? And they go, I, we got it. And they head off, and then they, they take off towards Jesus. It says the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise the offspring. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third, right on down to the seventh. I think maybe the girl was bad news, not the brothers, right? Same thing. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven? Since all of them were married to her. And Jesus replied, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures and the power, or the power of God. They came to him with a trap, just like the first one, and Jesus saw it coming. He knew what was going on. And they asked him this theological question, this difficult question that nobody can find the answer to. And so what they're trying to do is the Pharisees tried to put Jesus against either the Romans or the, the, the Jewish nation. These guys are trying to steal back from Jesus' following, either the Sadducees, who see the world the way that they do, or the Pharisees, who are trying to cut his power in half. It's a nice attempt, but Jesus sees it coming. And Jesus says this, you're an heir because you don't understand the scripture of power of God, which is hilarious because that's all these people did. They devoted themselves to, to study, study the Bible. To become a Pharisee or a Sadducee, you had to have the law memorized. Right? When we do a Bible reading plan, that part that you skip, you check out in February because it's reading Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the end of Exodus. And you're going, no. They, they had to have that memorized to attain their position. And so Jesus is going, you don't. You say that you're Israel's teachers, you say that you know this, but you don't have any idea what you're talking about. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. <clears throat> but about the resurrection of the dead, so he finally gets around to the point after he pokes a hole in the theology. Have you not read what God said? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds, not the people trying to trap him, when the crowds heard this, they were amazed. Jesus said, I am, or he said, that his father said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. Not, I was their God. They're not dead. And neither are the seven brothers in your story that you're trying to trap me with. They're not dead. That's why there's no marriage in heaven, which is going to be unfortunate. Right? It says that we're going to come like the angels, to which I would say my wife already is. Oh. Right. There's my brownie points for the day. 
But so the first group come and they ask a political question, and they're trying to divide Jesus from the right from the left. This group tries to come and divide him from well those conservative Christians versus the liberal Christians. They're trying to steal back part of their following. And so Jesus pokes a hole in it, and they go back to their huddle, and they're going, well, that didn't work out quite so well for us either. I, I, anybody else got anything? And it says, it says, an expert in the wall. Right? So I almost see this guy over the sides going, amateurs, well, let me show you how to do this. And this other guy walks up, and he asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? See, this story, and I don't understand why, but it's kind of abridged in Matthew's section. I want to go over to Luke chapter 10 and read it from there. And so flip over to Luke chapter 10 with me. Because in Luke chapter 10, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, it picks it up. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? <clears throat> what is written in the law, Jesus said. Jesus puts his philosophy back on him. The guy's asking, look, if I want to get to heaven, what is the right thing to do? And Jesus goes, you tell me, what does your right thing to do say the right thing to do is? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. See, the guy is coming to him and he's asking, what's the right thing to do? And Jesus goes, I've got a better question for you. Instead of asking what the right thing to do is, what I want you to begin asking is, what's the most loving thing that I can do? When you're in a dilemma and you go, I don't know if that's right or if that's right, I don't know, Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. Begin to ask, what's the most loving thing that I can do? Because when you're showing compassion, you are never wrong. When you're offering somebody encouragement and hope, you're not wrong. When someone is down on their luck and you're picking them up, well, I just don't know what the right thing is. No, no, no. Pick them up. Help them out. He says, stop looking for the right thing to do and begin to do the most loving thing that you can see. And so the guy goes, I, 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 let me get this straight. So what you're saying is that if my neighbor needs help, that is what honors God more than offering sacrifices in the temple? Yes. If you're saying that if my neighbor is broken down and needs a hand, and you're saying that is more valuable than 
praying and reading my Bible? Yes. Well, let me just, let me just, <coughs> okay, so you're saying that's for my neighbor. Who's, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to do this for? Or probably what he's really asking is, who don't I have to do this for? And so Jesus says, let me tell you a little story. He says, Jesus, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He said, there was a man that was beat up and he was left for dead. And then a man who was paid to be right and to do the right thing, saw him and avoided him. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. He goes, there was somebody from one religious sect that did this. Then there was, you can call them the volunteers. Right? The paid guy did it. The people who should be committed to God, they just did the same thing. They followed the, the priest's example. They, they, they saw the guy and they just avoided him. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on and, and, and uh, uh, pouring oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper to look after him. He said, When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. And so Jesus replied, go and do likewise. See, the idea of a Samaritan, I don't know, I know that doesn't resonate with us. Who is somebody who sits on the other side of the aisle for you? Right? If you don't have much, the person who does have much. And you look at them and resent them for having much. Right? Input that as a Samaritan for you. If you're a Republican, read that a Democrat came across. If you're a Democrat, read that a Republican came across. Read whoever you look at that you go, yeah, I'm doing the right thing, they're doing the wrong thing, and Jesus goes, ah. That's the wrong question. That's the wrong way to look at people. That's not how I look at people. That's not how my Heavenly Father looks at people. Asking what the right thing to do is asking the wrong question. It's the right question. Let me say this. Asking what the right thing to do is a good question, not the best question. The best question is, what's the most loving thing that I can do? Because when you offer somebody assistance, you're never doing the wrong thing. And so this is what I want to talk about for a few weeks. This is how Jesus lived his life. He came in and he just completely disrupted the right thing all over the place. And he made the Pharisees mad, and he made the Romans mad, and he made the Sadducees mad, because he came in and he said, you guys had a way of looking at life 
He goes, I want you to look at it from my Heavenly Father's perspective. Who, when he looks down, he sees children that he created, that are created in his image, and, and he's in relationship with some of them, and some of them, he looks at his children, but he's not in relationship with them. And I need some people that are going to bridge that gap and help the people that are far from our Heavenly Father to help introduce them to him. And we don't do that by asking the question, what's the right thing? We don't do that by saying, I'm doing the right thing, you're doing the wrong thing. He says, you do that by asking a better question. What's the most loving thing I can do today? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. God, help us to trust you. It is so much easier to look for the right thing, to look at a law to get a set of instructions and go, yep, yep, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that, yep, yep, yep. It's so much harder when it's abstract and you're calling us to love. Because when we love, we get hurt. When we love, it costs us something. When we love, sometimes it's just hard to love. And so God, help us to keep our eyes on your son who is the ultimate example of what love meant, who is just the ultimate example of what sacrifice meant, and learn to love our neighbors the way Jesus loves us. As in your son's name we pray. Amen.